what a fall from grace. I, I don't know. I don't know another way to put it. Was there it. ever grace? Really? I don't know. Yes, he had a season of grace. We didn't see a lot of it, but he had a. So that's grace. Us not seeing him is grace. Yeah. Hello, everybody, and welcome into another edition of Talgo TV, the only podcast that survived the first round of layoffs at the Baltimore Sun. I'm David Royal, joined as always my pal Tom Shively. Tom, we have made it. It is season five of the wire we are four episodes in there are six more to go but before we get too deep into it how you doing today it's always celebration anytime you survive layoffs man so i'm doing all right you know waking up here still have the podcasting job so um you know maybe don't get compensated as much as we'd like yet but we'll talk to the sponsors about that one hey listen it's 2008 you know we we're the only thing keeping the baltimore sun afloat is this this digital side right here they're they're we're doing our thing they're like where's all this money coming from right here there's a lot going on it's a little painful to see like them referring to TV media as the future when it is now already out of date. Like, that one hurts a little bit to see. That is kind of crazy that the, the just the way things have changed since 2008. Like, when this show, as the show was airing, the iPhone was premiering. It was coming out and being like, you know, oh, look, it's this iPhone. But, like, all it could really do was go on the internet. There were no apps. There were no, like, nothing of what we know today. It's only been 13 years And we've gone completely from newspapers are dead to like television is the new age. That's where things are going to be to like now people have for the last like five years have declared television dead. It's obviously not going anywhere, but it's just crazy how so how so many not how so many how how many of these things from the show in 13 years became outdated. Yeah, definitely. And and I guess we start there, right? Like the media being kind of a central focus of this season. I think we've seen throughout the show kind of different emphases, emphases uh, through the first few, for the first, few, first four seasons. And now we get kind of the media side of it. And the first thing that was drawn to me was kind of the parallel between the media and the police. A lot of the similarities there, you know, you see, obviously the police are going through some wage cuts. They're frustrated. They're not getting any overtime despite working you know, like 12, 16 hour shifts on these surveillances. And, you know, the Sun, who obviously the Sun, Baltimore Sun, who the show centers on is making a lot of corporate buyouts because a lot of things that we just touched on. So it was kind of interesting to see the way they do that kind of showing the struggles the media is facing, showing the struggles the police are facing. At the end of the day, it's still kind of, oh, we both have to go get a job done and we kind of have to do it with less staff and be more creative about it. And so that to me was kind of interesting how they put those side by side. So I, I think I think that's super interesting, obviously, all the stuff going on with the Baltimore Sun. But I think maybe it's just me. I think we just find it interesting because we were journalism majors and this was a thing we thought about going to school was like, do we want to be printer broadcast? Because we kind of saw it as like print was, I don't know if this is how you saw it, but I saw it as print was a dying media. Obviously, like if you go to a school that transitions to a digital age the way Penn State has, you'll be fine doing either. But that was like how I viewed it going into school was I wanted to be more in television, more in the future of, you know, whether it be streaming or that kind of production side of stuff as opposed to, you know, the the written and digital side of it. And it's just interesting to look back on this 2008 and see from a 2008 lens of how they viewed the internet and how they were viewing what was going to happen to the future of newspapers, because I I would argue like a lot of our fears about what would happen to the newspaper industry have largely 
come to bear. The the fruits of that have have bore out in front of us because local news specifically newspapers are the weakest they've ever been. We are losing newspapers left and right. They're getting bought out by big companies. And a lot of that stems from the creation of the internet and people being able to get their news daily from other places. They don't have to go get the local paper to get the sports scores. They don't have to, you know, the ESPN apps right in their pocket, whatever thing you want to use to get your sports scores it's it's right in your pocket and so that largely started to i I think that's just one very small example but it started to push newspapers out the door a little bit yeah right like you see that scene with alma where she like wakes up at five o'clock in the morning and drives down to the printing press to see that she's on the front page like that is mind-boggling to me now it's just like oh i popped open the, the baltimore sun app and like boom there it is so it's just it's another way that that media is moving along but i think they still like in the city play a critical role, and I think they are they're fairly well respected. You kind of see them from only the cops' perspective so far, you know, with like, oh, who invited the media? Like, oh, we gotta go talk to the media about this. Kind of as like these badgers just trying to get information, which they are to a certain extent because it's their job. But like seeing now that the police kind of maybe using the media a little bit, you see Gutierrez like get a little bit of a relationship with McNulty, kind of. Now that McNulty has this little subplot that we'll get into later, I'm sure, like seeing the media kind of interact with police is is really well done. Well, yeah, it changes it changes the way we've looked at the media so far because up to this point, as always, it's always been like you mentioned, like X person leaked this to the media, X person did this. You know, just call a Sun reporter; they'll leak it to you. And the only time we've really seen the media play a role in the show, it wasn't the newspaper crew, it was the TV crew when they were looking at the housing projects that where, you know, all the drug use was going on, Hamsterdam, that's what it's called. So that's the only time we've really even thought about the media in this show is how can we use the media to our advantage? And I think it's interesting to see now from the media's perspective the other end of that coin, how can we use these officials in pow- power to our advantage to get what we want out of it? I think it's an interesting dynamic they have working. Yeah, I mean, all right, we've hit on the media. I think they, they've they kind of carved out their role pretty well for these first few episodes. The, the most interesting story to me, maybe of the entire series, is this this incognito mission that McNulty is pulling off. Basically, a little bit of background, they... They basically have to choose between pursuing Clay Davis and all of the the paperwork, all of the you know budget illegal money changing hands that they have on Clay Davis, or continue the Stanfield investigation. And they choose to go after the politician. And obviously, you know, it frustrates frustrates Lester a lot. It frustrates Kima, frustrates McNulty, people that have been dedicating you know months and months to this. And so McNulty has this scheme where he's going to to set up these bodies as murders, even though that they're not to try to essentially f- fabricate a serial killer. And so he goes through and, you know, he's been successful for the first few episodes. He's able to fool the uh, the medical examiner. You know, he's able to fool his fellow detectives. And, you know, he lets Bunk... Bunk being out on it was a little surprising to me because I felt like Bunk was kind of always McNulty's right-hand man. But you see him kind of go, oh, ultimately he's going to be a suit at the end of the day. But he gets Lester and Lester's really selling it. Kima's kind of selling it with him. So fascinating to see McNulty kind of I guess not that surprising because he's always been away from authority but to see him go this far I was like wow that that is that is a twist 
It, it feels so a couple of things there. One, one of my favorite moments of these episodes was when Bunk brings in Lester to like talk some sense into him. And then Lester's like, no, no, you're not playing it up enough there. You got to have a, a backstory, something super sadistic. And then Bunk's like, no, 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 I'm out on this. I'm leaving. I am not, I'm not going to be a part of this. So that is hilarious to me. I thought that was so funny. Kima doesn't seem to know what's going on. She seems to be so deep in the murder investigation she's working on that, uh, you know, Michael and Chris and Snoop were a part of where it seems like this is just a prediction. This is a very early death prediction. I think Michael might end up dead by the end of the season because he didn't kill that kid who came out of the back door. And if I'm not mistaken, that's the kid who they found in the closet later. Uh, once you know they ran away and whatnot, I- I'm not sure if they're the same kid, but it, it I feel like that's what they're trying to imply there, and I think that's what's going to put Chris and Snoop in, and so they're going to end up like potentially either killing both the kid and Michael, or just as, as a statement they're going to kill Michael, and I, I think that's unfortunate to kind of be in that position, but that's that's just an early early prediction. Um, back to McNulty for a second though, it's. What a fall from grace. I don't know. I don't know another way to put it. Was there ever grace, really? I don't know. Yes, he had a season of grace. We didn't see a lot of it, but he had a season. So that's grace. Us not seeing him as grace, yeah. We had a season of him not being, uh, I mean, frankly, a bad person. Like, he's a great detective, bad person. We didn't have a season of that. He was, as far as we were told, as what we were shown, he was a good husband he was content working in the community. He was. He said it. He said it a couple times this season. He was happy, and they brought him back into it. He was happy doing what he was doing, and now he's he's you know back in homicide where he didn't want to be to begin with. That has never been where he would have been content working his forty hours over in the western. Instead, they brought him back into it. Now he's back in homicide. He's back to cheating on his wife, and she meant you they're know not, they they're not that, married, are they? They're not. They are married because I remember they mentioned it at some point where. Yeah, they mentioned it because he was talking to to some girl at the bar, and someone says to him like, "Doesn't he have so, doesn't he have a wife or something like that?" I forget who says it to him, but like I must have missed I, that. Okay, I just took that to mean they did get married, and we just didn't see it. Maybe I'm I'm wrong, and they were just together. But I mean that that moment with him and Beatty, where she's like, you know, we had something here, and and like he knows it too, and it's just it's it feels like it feels like part of what he's doing with the the serial killer thing has more to do with with stuff at home and him wanting to leave Beatty but not having the heart to do it and and the other part of it of actually like the Stanfield stuff yeah I mean it kind of it definitely feels like a return of the McNulty of old you know you see him out with he's uh relating with that woman on the car as the other cops drive by you know that's very mcnulty-esque you know he's got the uh he's got the jameson basically everywhere he goes so he's an alcoholic it, 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 it is a little bit of a return to the old mcnulty and i think that kind of comes with the rebelliousness of his character but this just feels like impending doom this it feels like the sun is going to catch wind it feels like this is going to be the big cover story of like oh the police department's doctoring bodies for cases like it just sets up for disaster for McNulty and Lester these last few episodes. Well, and and Bunk even alludes to it a little bit where he's like, "Do you know what they do to cops in prison? Do you have any idea? Like, are you th- think about this before you do this?" And 
they just they're so intent on doing what they're doing i'm just i'm super curious how it's going to end up because at the end of the day right i think i think the point the show wants you to take away from this is these would have gone unsolved anyway and so what mcnulty and lester in terms of how they see it they're not doing a harm because there are hundreds of homeless people or whatever they say. I forget the exact number they put on it. But there are a handful, hundreds of homeless people every year who who die and it goes uninvestigated. They never find out what happened, whether it was a murder or otherwise. And so basically what Lester sees it as is they're going to contribute to something good in the end. And I don't know if they're I don't think they're right in the way they're going about it. But I also don't think the police department and the city are right for just dropping the Stanfield investigation. When it, I mean, Lester's right; they were they were bound to get sloppy eventually. They just needed to change up. I, I think the police got complacent with it, but that's just. I mean, you can't be on a guy for a year, do the same things over and over again, and expect it to work. Yeah, I think Marlo, you know, to their credit, like Chris, they they pick up on it quickly that it's like, oh, like no one's watching anymore, like, and and they get a little sloppy, and it feels like. The longer they don't know McNulty and Lester on them, like it's gonna catch up to them because it feels like they just they're like big game hunters and they keep going for bigger and bigger people. And you see, you know, they get a Omar's like advisor, whatever you want to call him, the blind man, the bartender, Butchie. Yeah, yeah, they like shoot him. You know, they're trying to get all these people to tell them where Omar is. None of them do for credit, but you know, Butchie. They end up getting him. Omar's down in it looks like Puerto Rico. With I was gonna say it's it Puerto had Rico. to be La Perla, right? Yeah, because that was the fortress behind them. It had yep. to be that little village there. He's down there with Ronaldo. He gets news and like goes back up. And Marlo, Marlo's getting a lot more mature. I think in this season, kind of because he has to be. I think to a certain extent, Prop Joe kind of calls him out because Marlo. You know, for as long as he's been in this show, does things his own way and kind of is, you know, I'm going to be the king forever. Like, I'm not going to be cooperative with these other people. You know, I'm just going to kind of do things my way. And you see that with him originally trying to skirt prop Joe with the uh, with the Russians or the Greeks. Sorry. And he kind of pulls them back in. He tries to get Sergey where like Avon comes in. I think it's going to be interesting if they revisit that at all with Avon. But he gets Sergey basically and he's going to try to like basically go around prop joe and avon calls him on it and then you know he ends up killing prop joe because at prop i thought best maybe best line of the first four episodes was like i was like a father figure to you and marlo's like i'm not the son type or whatever he says and it was just like boom that was it for prop joe and you 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 know how much of a guide he was for marlo the last couple seasons for marlo just be like i don't need you anymore you're dead like it's just a microcosm of who he is as a character yeah so marlo Marlo's an interesting character because because I mean of that exact reason is he's able to spot where the weaknesses are you know he spots cheese as a potential weakness uh, for prop Joe and he, I mean he's right cheese is the one who ultimately puts his uncle down that's the reason Joe gets killed by him so you know it, it's it's smart by Marlo it's very calculating but it's bound to catch up to him, especially with like with what's going on now with with Omar. Omar is hot on his tail. Omar is out for vengeance. Omar I, doesn't I just, miss. Yeah, I I just think that that reinvolving Omar when he was completely out of the loop. Omar was was down. He was content to live out his days in in Puerto Rico. Was that's what I thought it was as well. And 
enjoy that life, you know, use all that money to just just hang back and never commit another crime again, it seemed like. He, you know, he's giving food to the kids. He's like a happy guy. And then they kill Butchie. And for him, it's like Butchie was innocent. Like, why, why did you bring Butchie into this when it's not him who who helped me uh, rob you. I, I, does, yeah. yeah. Like, so I, I just think, I, I think it was a mistake by Marlo. It's something that I actually think Avon, like Avon never made that kind of mistake. Avon made a lot of dumb, like we're going to get caught by the police kind of mistakes, but he never made like, he never intentionally did anything to make Avon come back on them. Like when Avon was up in New York, they were content with just, you know, or not Avon, when Omar was up in New York, uh, remember he was going to testify and they put him up, he went up to New York to be safe. Avon and them were content with when he comes back, we'll get him. Until then, well, I'm not super worried about him. He's there. He's not here and we're here. We're going to keep doing our thing. And I, I think that and the way Stringer played it was kind of the smarter way to play it. But then again, Stringer ended up dead. So maybe it wasn't the right way to play it. Yeah, really. It kind of feels like Omar... Is it, he's not someone you want to seek out. Like Omar, anytime that he wants conflict, is going to go find it. And if if Omar wants conflict with you, or if you want conflict with Omar, it, it's usually going to end the same way. Omar's going to win. So it, it felt weird again. It, it's Marlo kind of kind of biting off more than he can chew, and biting off more than he can chew. And, you know, going for these big guns and just kind of like shoot now, think later almost with Marlo and kind of. It's going to bite him eventually. I, I, I don't know who's ultimately going to get him, whether it's going to be issue with the cops, whether it's going to be Omar, but it just feels like, again, Marlo is being... Yes, he's more mature, but I think you see... I think he's better at reading situations, but you still kind of see that king mentality from him where, like, I make the ultimate decisions and I am going to do what I want because I can. I, I think my read going into this season, I feel more confident about it now that we're throw it a little bit where I think um, I think Marlo's either going to end up dead or in prison because I think they're going to be able to pin enough of these bodies or something on on Marlo and he's going to end up in prison and I, I think the only reason to reintroduce Avon at this point is to set up the situation where he comes out of prison and he's back running running the east side and I think to set it up where you're basically back to exactly where you were the start of season one. McNulty's a drunk cheater. You know, Lester is probably cast aside somewhere, whether that be in prison or somewhere deep in like, you know, some random department where he doesn't actually get any real work because he's a part of this doctoring bodies. Avon is on the street, like I said. Marlo is a nobody. Like Omar's being Omar. I, I, I think we're gonna it's gonna end up being we're back where we started. That's kind of the whole message, right? Is what you were saying is the you, you have these stories and it just ultimately, you know, the the clock keeps ticking. It's just, you know, same same people are back doing the same things and it's just problems that never really go away. Well, some someone made the point to me, they had texted me and uh shout out to Brian McLaughlin, I know he listens. He t- he basically presented to me the idea around, you know, you and I have talked a lot about why do people do the things they do? And and basically we've come to the conclusion is they feel trapped. And what his read of it was, was it's the game is everything. They always mention it's about the game. It's all about the game. Everything's about the game. And it just feels like what the show is trying to tell you 
and you and I, I think, have picked up on this, is the game will always be the game. They've said that multiple times. And that means this is an endless cycle of, of basically, you know, of of constant abuse, whether that be abuse by the police against this community, an abuse by the drug dealers against their own community, a literal drug abuse by the people in the show. It's just a constant cyclical cycle that never ends. And whether it never ends because of 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 circumstance or because of of just the way I don't know how to describe it, but it's ba- it's it's a never-ending cycle essentially is what the game actually ends up being. I think there was a moment that surprised me a little bit um when Omar doesn't kill Slim uh when he's trying to get the information on uh where's uh, he's asking where Joe is I think and and Slim is like I'm I'm not going to tell you and then he's like I don't like I wouldn't rat you out like that or whatever he says and then Omar doesn't kill him. I kind of feel like like that was a little bit of a mistake from Omar. And I get why he does it because he thinks, you know, Slim isn't doing anything wrong. Like there's a little bit of that that nobility and like, you know, he doesn't deserve to die because I had the wrong read on him. But it, but it feels like Slim is kind of, obviously he's in with Joe, but we saw him flip pretty quick from Avon. I feel like he's going to do the same thing if Marlo wants him. So I think that's the thing that I disagree on. It's not that I don't think he would flip because I actually think he he doesn't care. Whoever is putting food in his mouth, putting money on his table, slim is slim is slim. You know, it's it's whatever. He doesn't really care. I think the difference is, does Marlo want him? Because I think Marlo is starting to make a point of clearing out Joe and his people. And Slim was most certainly one of Joe's people. He showed it multiple times in those meetings that, like, that's his guy. If anything, I could see Slim wanting to go in with Omar to get at Marlo because Slim now twice has been burned by Marlo, whether that be... And that's the crazy thing. Like, I feel like on some level, Slim still in his head is like... I had Marlo. We had him dead to rights outside of that tire shop at the end of season three. And we didn't act on it because I never got a call to act on it. And I'm sure Slim on some levels, like, I know how to get this guy. This love guy's that not chance again, yeah. Yeah, like like I, I would love the opportunity again to try and get him. And I could see a scenario where it's Slim and Omar who get like Snoop Chris and um Snoop, Chris, and Marlo. I could very much see that. Because like, it feels like they're closer, right, than the cops are to getting Marlo. Because I think McNulty and Freeman still have to go through a lot of this legalese of, like, reopening the investigation and, you know, getting the proper funding, you know, whatever it may be to kind of track Marlo down where their their efforts might just be a moot point by the time they actually get through with all that. So it, it feels like Omar is going to be the showdown, and I, and I, and I feel like, McNulty and Freeman are going to struggle a little bit more with the newspaper and like the political side of it and trying to like cover up essentially what they're doing here rather than actually pursuing the case. So you feel like you're doing all this police work, but really what what end is it going to come to? Yeah, I, I and again, this is another example of what I just brought up where we talk about the game. The game doesn't care about what the police are doing. Think back to Stringer. They had Stringer. They had him right there. They did all that great police work. They had him. He was going to go to jail. And the game didn't care. The game killed him. Omar killed him. The game could not have cared less. 
it, I could see the again back to what at I'm least, keep the talking about. won against Avon. To be fair, they did. They most certainly did. But like for McNulty, that wasn't the ultimate target. The ultimate target was Stringer. But what I what I want to say about it is, where I keep mentioning this circular, it never ends pattern. Could it happen again? They get close to Omar. They're like, or not Omar. They get close to Marlo. And they're like, you know, tomorrow we get Marlo. Tomorrow we're going to arrest him. This is finally the thing we needed to get him. And then the next day they found him dead. I I could see that happening. I, I just feel like, I feel like so much of what the police in the show do is for nothing. And it's unfortunate, but it's just kind of how the show set it up. Interesting message there. But, uh. Yeah, it kind of feels like Marlo isn't going to let Omar go if he sees him and, and has a chance, and Omar isn't going to let Marlo go if he has a chance. So it's just whenever that confrontation happens, who who's going to come out on top? I, I don't I don't know how to feel about that. I I think that's where we're heading, but it's I, I'd probably lean Omar right now just because what I've seen him do throughout the series, and he he has always seemed to step ahead, but. Maybe that maybe that's my dooming is 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 I'm assuming too much about Omar. I mean they 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 have set us up right where where you up to this point Omar is ungettable. That is what they've told us the entire show is Omar cannot get got. And it, when you set up a character like that, it almost feels inevitable sometimes that that like their fate is almost sealed. But for some reason, Omar doesn't feel that way. Omar feels like, again, and maybe that's like, maybe that's my mistake because uh, Walter White in the, in, have you seen all of Breaking Bad? Oh uh, yeah. Um, Walter White in Breaking Bad felt like no matter what happens, Walter White will still be standing in the end. He'll find a way to weasel his way out of it. And then there's that final shot of the show. He's, he's dead. And it, it, you know, it, it's stuff like that. It's like they build these characters up to tear them down. You know, I'm, I'm trying to think of a Game of Thrones example because I know you watch Game of Thrones, but I, ca- I can't think of one. But they, they do all this stuff just to bring them back down to a more human level because if, if there are no consequences for your characters, you're never going to think of them as as real because if you don't think at any moment omar can die then he doesn't feel real anymore and it's been a while since he's been close to death i feel like i mean like daenerys maybe is the best example in game of thrones she shows the cracks at the end like i feel like more so than walter white did but ever like anyone before they die is going to show cracks it's not you know so that part i get um yeah i mean Omar uh, shows no cracks. That's the thing. Not He's yet, not though, showing. is the point. Yeah. I mean, we, still got, we still got a few episodes left. Th- this is, I will say, if, if he were to be vulnerable, right, this is the most personal, I feel like, of the deaths since when the last time he got shot, season one. When it was his boy Brandon in season one, remember, he was it was very personal for him. He went at Avon hard and got shot by Weebay because of it. Whereas, like, this is the most personal, this is probably the closest person to him who's been killed since Brandon, and it makes you feel like he might be vulnerable because it's too much of a, there's too much passion behind what he's now trying to do, and he may put himself in bad situations or stick out bad situations because he can't see the bigger picture. All right, so I got a few more characters I want to hit. Some of them I, I thought were kind of interesting. Some of them not so much. Uh, Clay Davis' storyline 
doesn't really interest me that much. I think, you know, you see Perlman and Daniels kind of going after him with, you know, we've known he's a corrupt guy since we met him, basically. You know, we saw him even season one with the driver, season three with all of his side hustles with Stringer. You know, you finally, it's kind of like that aha got him moment with Clay Davis when, when they get him at the grand jury and the media gets him outside, but none, none of it really surprises me. It, it kind of always felt like this was going to be the, Clay Davis was just going to catch up to him at some point. So this just kind of feels like the culmination of what was inevitable. Yeah, Clay Davis wasn't doing a very good job of hiding his shady dealings, and they've showed us that multiple times. So yeah, I'm, him getting eventually grand juried and then eventually going to prison is is not a very surprising outcome for him. With him about Carchetti, you know, he's going after the governor. I think he, you know, it's his decision really to focus more on the schools than police because he thinks it's going to make him look better publicly. His uh, his his manager, who I can't think of the name right now. Um, it, you know, is against that and kind of, you know, trying to talk reason to him. And so is the, uh, the other council. What Reese is it? Is her name that? Oh, Narice. Narice, yeah, is also trying to like kind of help him out, but kind of has her own ulterior motives. So it feels like Carchetti is, has just kind of sunken into the political game. Again, you know, Daniels is frustrated at him. The whole department's frustrated at him. You know, he's all this promises were made to us and not being kept. So just kind of feels like he's sunken into, Royce territory at this point like it's just another politician I I don't think he's sucking into Royce territory because I feel like Royce would have immediately taken the money from the governor and on some level I feel like that was the mistake of Carchetti where when that money was offered to him and you know he basically would have had to grovel on television for it and it would have been a bad look for his governor's race what's worse not being able to bail out your school district when it was the previous administration's fault. And you can largely be like, hey, listen, it was on them. We got this money. Thank you to the governor. Thank you for helping us in this t- our trying time of need. Or where you are now, where schools aren't doing well and you're pouring a ton of money to fix that issue. You haven't solved a 22-person, I think that's the number, 22-24. Yep. 22-person murder by one of the biggest drug dealers in your city, and you're now not paying your police because you don't have the money to pay your police. To me, it would have just been smart for him to take the money and run and focus on making Baltimore good as opposed to, I can't do that because then in... So I guess you're right. He has become a politician. It's just the other end of the spectrum of politician where instead of just taking the money and worrying about it later, he's like constantly thinking about, oh, well, how's that going to hurt me when I go to try and be the governor? And I think it's Burrell of all people, like as he's getting kicked out, that kind that kind of hits on that. And obviously, he's got plenty of reasons to hate Carcetti for for kicking him out of his post. But it's like, you know, he's talking to he's talking to Rawls. You know, nothing's really going to change. You know, it's 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 going to be. You know, it's the same as it was under Royce. You know, I'm gonna. You may think when you're sitting in this seat, like it's he's going to treat you different, but it's just the mayor has his own motives at the same day. Like they think that they know everything about policing and. You, you kind of hit on that, you know, he's bitter that he's getting kicked out, essentially, but he's right. And it's just that that corruptness that that I'm right about everything of politics. It, it, it's evident with Clay Davis, it's evident with, with Carchetti, and it's kind of been a theme the whole series. So kind of tying that together, they do it in a good way here in this season, I think, with, with Burrell's release. Carchetti's not corrupt to me, though. I, in, like, in a way, Maybe not Royce, corruption, that might be not the right word. Yeah, like, Royce was corrupt. He's almost too noble. Like Carcetti's almost the other end of the spectrum. Yeah, he he he's not comfortable taking handouts essentially, 
And I think maybe I'm like misreading it, but I think he sees what the governor tries to do, not only as a political game, but a handout. And you know what? That I think that's it. He's too, he's, he's too, he's too proud. Like he's too proud's not even the word. Like he cunning might be the word. He thinks too much about the politics of it, of how it's going to look, of how, of all the angles of if I do this, it's going to look this way. And it's always with an eye to, you know, being the governor. Whenever out, like, just take the money, help your city. If your city's doing well, he's not going to be able to railroad you on that, whether he wants to or not. And I just think it's a, a misstep. And I think it's pretty clear he's not going to get the chance to actually be or run for governor. That's not a storyline we're ever going to touch on or wrap up. Yeah, I mean, there's, what, we're six episodes left. Feels like there's a lot to get to, so... Obviously, many different directions this could go. I the the, the Marlo Omar development I think is going to be some of the most interesting, and also you know we hit on the the McNulty and the media as well. I feel like that's going to catch up to him at some point with Gutierrez. So, I mean, certainly a lot that's more interesting to follow. I, I thought I think so far though I don't know how you feel. This is one of the weaker starts to a season in a while because season three and four came out hitting so hard. Season two was the last one I remember not starting off very strongly. And maybe that's just the nature of of final seasons is you have so much you have to get to and so much you have to wrap up that, you know, there, there's no time for all the all the pleasantries. It's just right to Marlowe, Claren House and getting Omar back involved. It, it just is what it is. But I've liked the longer play on a lot of these stories. And I hope they're able to to really drag out this Omar um, Omar and Marlo thing. Uh, maybe drag out's the wrong word though, because that implies that like they do it for too long. Yeah, I think you know we've talked about every season. You get kind of a new element, and the the media feels like a slower play than you know getting introduced to the kids or getting introduced to Marlo's game or even getting introduced to the Greeks and and the shipyard in the first couple seasons. It's just like. That there isn't that like element of criminality, that element of of evil with the media. You know, I I think on a on a deeper perspective, you could say maybe there is, but you know, there's not that present criminal element to it like you see with these other guys that that makes them so enticing right off the bat. It's like, oh, it's just the paper. Like they're they're gonna be journalists and like ask questions and be late to all these stories because they're just reacting and telling you what already happened. Yeah, the the media angle is probably the most boring of the angles they've looked at so far because i'm trying to think season by season season one was was well, a season one's like the whole like show's how the police new, operate. So, yeah but but season one i feel like is a big focus on how the police operate like you got to learn yeah. how they yeah. how they go season two is much more all right we know there are drugs in the city but how do they get here and so they get the big like shipyard and we focus so much on that season three you like you mentioned you're introduced to marlo but it's so much about okay, how do drug dealers then take their money and put it into, into back into the city? How do, how do how do they interact you know, pol- with each other? Really, I think is another big thing from season three. Yeah, that and you know the the Clay Davis stuff. I don't know what to call it other than the Clay Davis stuff, but you know the dirty money in politics. I guess is what I would call it. Season four is I gotta think. I'm blank. Season I mean, four kids, is the schools. Youth, yeah. Yeah, season four is the schools. I think that's easily the most interesting and the one I care the most about. And now season five is the paper and the media. And I think that of the ones we've named is very, very boring comparatively. The shipyard was also boring. We're allowed to say that. We're in the media. I think I think it's a fair game. 
Yeah, we don't uh, listen. We don't do anything like that interesting on our dare today job. Like, I like my job, but we don't do anything that is like like don't bring TV crews around what I'm doing every day. You would be bored, senseless. It's like TV about making TV, Eh. unless it's the movie Argo. Like, it just doesn't work. So, is is that what Argo is about? Have you not seen Argo? I have never seen Argo. Great movie, great movie. I am. I'm notorious for, and I think I said this when we started this. What's your What's your Ben I'm, Affleck take? Like, what do you think on Affleck? I have no Ben Affleck take. Okay, like, so you're not you're not like, oh, Affleck is in. I'm not going to watch. All right, okay. I, I don't feel that way about many actors, to be quite honest. I I have opinions on guys I think are overrated. Tom Hanks, hello, very overrated. But that's a take. Like, okay. Well, it's just because you don't like Forrest Gump, which I I don't disagree with you, but no, no, no. It's not because of that. I think. I think for I not Forrest Gump. I think Tom Hanks is elevated to a level that like he's a good actor, don't get me wrong. People talk about him though like he's greatest actor of all time, you know, look at all the film like he 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 largely does the same thing over and over again. He's very notorious he's for a, being he's like a volume nice, guy to you, not necessarily quality. He he's the Carmelo Anthony of of movies yeah exactly who's your, who's your lebron james in movies then we're getting so off topic this is great who's my lebron james like who's the goat yeah let me think let me think on it i got i gotta think because like leo is like leo is so versatile so leo comes to mind i'll go with leo for now because i don't sit on it we'll talk about the next pod sit on it you know You'll come up with a you'll come up with a better idea. Yeah, later. let me think on it. But I never got to my point, which was that anything, anything like pre twenty fourteen movies that aren't like Star Wars or the Iron Giant. Yeah, sorry, I, I probably haven't seen it. It's on you, man. Just not cultured enough. But you know, Talgo TV, we're trying to culture ourselves. So you know, we're winning here. That's the ultimate goal. Listen, I'm gonna go through per the suggestion of a, a friend, a mutual friend, and. Basically, the British Film Institute and the American Film Institute both have top hundred lists for what they believe to be the top hundred movies of all time, and there are they are vastly different because the British Film Institute, shockingly, and I say that with all the sarcasm, has many more non-American and non-English language films. They have a lot of like. French. Are you telling me there were good movies made that aren't American? I know. I don't believe right? you. And so, whereas the American Film Institute, and I think this is obvious because it's the American Film Institute, has a lot more of a focus on American cinema and what the top hundred films uh, all time in uh, American cinema are. Do you care to venture a guess what their number one film of all time is? As I pull the list, the up? American or the Brit- the American, the American. Yes, uh. I will pull up the British as well, but I would more more curious in your American guess. Citizen Kane, maybe I don't know. That feels too old. That feels. Tom, good work. It is Citizen Kane. Uh, would you care to venture a guess for the top five? Oh, jeez. Um, top five. There are some obvious ones here, and then I think. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know th- these anything. are all classics, but like Gone with the Wind, maybe. Gone with the Wind is sixth. Good work by you. Uh, good Casablanca, maybe. Casablanca is three. Ooh, um, they're all classics. You're saying? I believe so. Yeah, these are all. I haven't seen all of them, but yes, they, um, I would, people would consider them all. What? I don't think one of these you're gonna get, but I think the other ones are all fair game. Like Wizard of Oz, I hesitate because that was based off a book, so I don't know about that one. 
Wizard of Oz is 10. Is it? Okay. Um, I'm drawing a blank. You put me on the spot here. I, I really I really came out swinging with Citizen Kane. Would you like, it's you a Wonderful know, you got, Life, maybe? That's too Christmassy, though. I don't know if that's on here or not. I'd have to look through. Here, let me just give it to you. Good job, though. You got number one. I'm very, very proud of you for that one. Uh, number two is The Godfather. Okay. Number three, as mentioned before, is Casablanca. Number four is Raging Bull. And number five is Singing in the Rain. I haven't seen Raging Bull, I'll be honest. That is uh, Scorsese, if I'm not mistaken. My parents, also my parents will probably skim me alive for saying that. but Hey, I've also never seen it. I, I told you. That's why I'm going to go right, through but, this list. But like, the thing, going back to Argo, you're a big Oscars guy, right? Which like surprised me that you wouldn't have seen like something that won Best Picture. I feel like maybe this was like pre your Oscars interest, but I feel like you would always be like, oh, that won Best Picture, I have to watch it. Yeah, that, that you hit the nail on the head. I have... It was pre my Oscars interest. Like I'm telling you, 2015 Oscars on, which is the 2014 films. Was that the, the artist I, who won that year? 2015. Yeah. 2015 would have been. Uh, that was the year American Sniper was nominated. Um, Birdman. Birdman, Birdman won the okay. 2015 Oscar, if I'm not mistaken. Um, that was the same year as Grand Budapest Hotel. Oh, great movie. Uh, Exactly. Come on. That imitation game, I believe, was that year too. Was it? Oh, I thought that movie. was later. No, there was another movie that year that I like love, and I just I what was the uh, the the movie with the drummer was that year too? Whiplash. Uh, Whiplash. Thank yeah. you. That was the one that was drawn. That was also that year. So good year to like suddenly get into movies. So 2016 was strong too. La La Land was not. No, no. 2017 was La La Land. I know you love that movie. Yeah. Lost the Moonlight, of course, another very good film. Although I don't like Moonlight as much as other people. We are way off the rails here. Tom, I believe we are finished with Talgo TV for this week. I think we just brought a conversation that we would normally have once the podcast is over <laughs> directly onto the podcast. Do you have any other thoughts? Go watch Argo. That's my final thought. Hey, listen, I'll I'll get to it. It's it's on the like I said, it's on the list. It it, it will be watched at some point. Uh as will some other shows as we start to wrap up season five of The Wire. We will, again, we have an eye to the future. So if you have any shows that you really want us to watch, the future of Talgo TV, we will take a break at the end of this season. We're going to take, and we haven't decided how long yet. I think we'll decide eventually before we get into our next show. But we're going to take a little bit of a break. So you have plenty of time to go onto iTunes, give us a five-star rating, tell us what you like, what you don't like, how you want us to improve, not only for the rest of this season, but going forward, any suggestions you have, whether that's show, shows to watch, or the format of this podcast, we are more than welcome to hear it, both there and on Twitter, at TalgoPod, as well as both Tom and I's personal Twitters, will be linked in the show notes of this episode. But for Tom Shively, I'm David Arroyo. We'll catch you back here next week for another edition of Talgo TV.